The Bible reading today comes from Luke 24, verse 13 to 35. Yeah, that might be helpful. Better? Okay. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to to Jerusalem and do you not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and all the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this has taken place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see him. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not Christ have to suffer these things? And then enter his glory. And began, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what he said in what was said in the scripture concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as he were going further. But they urged him strongly, "Stay with us, for it is nearly evening, and the day is almost over." So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they recognised him, and he disappeared from their sight. They were asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem, There they found the eleven, those with with them, assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and he has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. Thank you. Okay, great. Thank you, everyone, for your participation in the service thus far. 
I'd like to ask you a question to start off with. Um, how do you finish this statement? Not that one. This one. I was hoping that by now, dot, dot, dot. I don't want you to think about two light things, you know, on Tuesday and Wednesday. I was really hoping that the wind would stop blowing because I was really sick of it by then. You may be too. I was hoping that by now my flat pack from Ikea would have arrived. No. I want you to think deeper for me for a second here. And it's some deep work we're going to do this morning. I might say that at the outset. But, but you know, the truth is that each and every single one of us in this building this morning has an unfulfilled hope in our lives. It's something that you are hoping would have happened by now, would be true by now, but it's not. And, and, and often, if not in every single case, it brings about deep hurt. I was hoping that by now my, my marriage had improved. I was hoping by now to have met someone. I was hoping that by now I would have been healed or I would have recovered. I was hoping that by now my grief over my loss would have subsided. I was hoping that I would have been out of poverty, lost the weight that I'd hoped to lose, had overcome the relentless addiction that I am struggling with, that life would be back by normal by now, that we would have had a child by now, that God would be real for me by now. You know, in each of these circumstances, and I could add many, many more, there is a sense of hope and perhaps a promise that you've held on to for a very long time that, that this would change, that this would be different, that this would be better. Friends, can I invite you to come with me this morning? I want you to come with me to the, the people of whom you read in the story that Anna and Dana just read out to us. You know, there's, there's a man who we met, his name is Cleopas, and he has a friend. We don't know what his friend, we don't even know if it's a him or a her, but it's, it's two people, two, two people who followed Jesus, not the famous 11 or, or part of the famous 12 disciples. This is just two people who we don't know who they are, Cleopas and a friend. And they are walking along uh, a seven-mile stretch of road from a city called Jerusalem to another place called Emmaus. And, and, and this is sort of shortly after the time that Jesus was crucified. Um, he's dead. He has risen, but they don't know that yet. And they're walking along. And they're, and they're talking. And, and along comes this stranger who you and I know, because we know the end of the story already, is, is the resurrected Jesus. But they didn't know it yet. Jesus hides his identity from them. He comes along and he asks them, what are you talking about? And they reply back to him about Jesus of Nazareth. 
He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. In a sense, they said to him, were you living under a rock in the last few days? Because this was a big deal in this city of Jerusalem, where this man Jesus was hung on a Roman cross. Don't you know what happened? They say to him. And then they get to the key bit in verse 21 that betrays their broken emotions. But we had hoped that he, this Jesus, was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped. I'm not going to take you through all the historical details of what exactly it was that they expected of this man Jesus, but I'm going to say to you that for them, it was massive. They had very real, very deep hopes that their lives would change, that their lives would be better, that whatever they longed for and yearned for, maybe just like you, longing for and yearning for, that's something that is an unfulfilled hope in your life, they had that when it came to what they had hoped this man Jesus would do for them. And what happened to their hopes? It died. He died on a, on a cross. It was, was the end of him, the end of their hopes. And here's what they see. Here's the first thing we can take from this little passage out of, out of this story. It's is, is because of what has gone wrong. They are seeing no promise for a future and no purpose for a present. Can I ask you this morning, is, is that you? Because of what has gone wrong in your life and in your circumstances, you see no promise for a future you wrestle with and you grapple with and you struggle with a purpose for the present because of what has gone wrong wrong. I bet that's where many of us this morning are sitting. It's where Cleopas sat. On that road to Emmaus, him and his friend sat in the dark place. No hope, no promise, no purpose. But then the story moves on. This is where it starts, but it moves mercifully and, and, and excitingly and interestingly, it moves to the next point, which I want to introduce to you uh, by way of uh, a song. <clears throat> it's, it's actually a poem or a song that was written in 1960s by American comedian, author and poet uh, by the name of Shel Silverstein. Hands up, anyone knows who Shel Silverstein was? I'm going to be surprised if I see even one. Yes, there's none. I didn't know either until this week, to be honest. You may not know who Shel Silverstein was, but hands up if you know who Johnny Cash was. All right, betraying our age here. Johnny Cash. Hands up if you know Johnny Cash's song, which was Shel Silverstein's song, popularized by Johnny Cash in 1969, called A Boy Named Sue. All right. 
I'm conscious that we have a Sue in the building, <laughs> but it's not a boy. <laughs> Donny Cash wrote this song of War Named Sue, and I'll tell you what, it's a silly song, it's a stupid song, but the more I listen to it, the more I think the comedy, all good comedy has a profound truth built in it. It's supposed to, if it's good comedy, right? I think Shel Silverstein did that with a boy named Sue. A boy named Sue goes like this. It's a boy who grows up when he's three years old. His dad leaves him and his mum. And he, the dad leaves the boy and the mum with a guitar. And he goes and he changes the boy's name to Sue. And as Sue grows up, he has a hard deal of it. He needs to fight a lot because he gets mocked and bullied and ridiculed for that name. When he has a crush on a girl, you know, she'd ask him what his name is, he'd say Sue, and the girl would all blush and giggle, and the blokes would all pay him out, and so he grew up in this very rough life, but he resented his father. So Sue makes this vow that he's going to travel the land, he's going to find the man who called him Sue, and he's going to kill that man. This is the extent of Sue's anger and bitterness towards the man who named him Sue. Eventually, he finds him in some bar and they have a brawl and as the song sort of goes in good old country lyrics in the mud and the blood and the beer, eventually they roll out of the saloon and they draw guns on each other and Sue draws his gun first and he has his dad at gunpoint at the point of taking his life. And then the father speaks up and here's what the father says. I'll read you the lyrics. They look a lot, but it's not really. Son, this world is rough, and if a man's going to make it, it's got to be tough. I know I wouldn't be there to help you along. So I gave you that name, and I said goodbye. I knew you'd have to get tough or die. It's that name that helped to make you strong. He said, oh, you just fought one heck of a fight. I know you hate me, and you got the right to kill me, and I wouldn't blame you if you do. But you ought to thank me before I die for the gravel in your gut. And the spit in the eye. Because I'm the one that named you Sue. And Sue speaks up, yeah, what could I do? I got all choked up, threw down my gun, called him a pa, and he called me his son. And I came away with a different point of view. Sue is here. And he looks at that name and he looks at that man who named him that. He hates him, wants to kill him. <laughs> and he moves to a different point where he views that name and that man entirely differently moving from one of resentment and anger and bitterness to one of maybe gratitude. Maybe what went wrong in my life is actually something that went right in my life. Now, don't get me wrong, that song is silly, it's stupid, but, but I wonder if Shel Silverstein, in his great comedy, made a powerful point. I wonder if he made the same point that Cleopas and his friend on the raid to Emmaus had to come to. They look at the cross. 
and they say everything for us went wrong. Our lives are destroyed, our unfulfilled hopes, nothing is ever going to be right about us because it all went wrong. And you know what this stranger does to them on the road to Emmaus? He moves them. He moves them right to the other side where they look at the cross, where they look at what went wrong, and they understand, no, no. Everything went right. Everything went as it should have gone. This is what Jesus says to them. How, how foolish you are. How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? <laughs> you see? Everything, from God's perspective, went right. Cleopas, you've misunderstood all along how God works and how hope works, and you've set your hopes for a good life on the wrong thing. The Messiah, the Christ, was supposed to come. He was supposed to die. He was supposed to die so that he could rise again. He was supposed to rise again so that death no longer will rule, so that your sin may be forgiven. Just do you see how when it comes to this issue of what goes wrong in life, God always has a different point of view. We see it as bad. God somehow sees it as a fulfillment of his plan, his hope, his promise. <laughs> the Christ had to suffer. The Christ had to die. Why, do you say? Why did he have to suffer? Why did he have to die? Why did it all have to go wrong for him? And why does it sometimes, in God's designs and plans, all have to go wrong for me? That's the two questions that you should rightly ask yourself at this point. Why does God do this? Why does God work this way? I want to answer both those questions for you this morning. The first one is, let's talk about Jesus. Through what went wrong for Jesus, then God brought about his promises of an eternal future for you with him. I'll say that again. Through what went wrong for Jesus, God brought about his promises of an eternal future with him in Jesus. I'm going to illustrate that to you. I'm going to illustrate to you just how much that means because it doesn't make so much sense in word as an illustration. This is an illustration that you have seen before. I've used it here and I think Francis Chan was the one who introduced me to it. Let me do it again because it's that good. Can I ask for some help? I need a child. Can someone help me? Jack, yeah, you can help me. I need a responsible child. Jack, are you a responsible child? <laughs> Jackie, you take this rope, just unroll it, mate, and see how far it goes. I don't really know. Um, yeah, just don't wrap it around anyone, especially not around their necks. Right, there you go. Let's go all the way. This rope that Jack's unrolling to us, represents to us your life. Do you know that your life is spent how long on the face of earth? 
maybe 80 years, maybe 90 years, maybe 100. Do you know how long that is in terms of how long you're actually going to live? About this little red part. Right? This little red part is representing your life on earth. And the white part, which we need to imagine, is endless, infinite, eternal, forever. Even though this rope has an end, your eternity for how long you are going to live is endless and without end. And your life is here in this little red part, tiny little piece in the beginning. You know what matters most in your life? is where you're going to spend the endless wide part and what life is going to be like for you. And, and will you return to who you were always supposed to be, living in a place and in a way of how you're supposed to be. Namely, as far as God is concerned, as a child of His, created by Him, loved by Him, living in a full relationship with Him, serving the purpose with Him that you're supposed to serve. And you know what? The promise of the Bible is that that is what you will have. This is what is yours if you're a child of God. And let me get back to the point that I just made. How is it possible for you to live this eternity in a place of such promise, in a place of such hope, in a place that is so glorious, so beautiful, and so right? How could you get that? Through what went wrong for Jesus? Through the cross, right? Through what went wrong for Jesus here in this miserable little time on earth, the suffering, the stuff that didn't go right, Jesus earned and secured what will go right for each and every single person who is in him, living forever in a relationship with the living God, filled with his spirit in a new heavens, a new earth, where there is no death, no crying, no tears, no mourning, no pain, and no unfulfilled hopes. Nothing of your hurts that you know now, you will know then in this eternity. That's the promise. How was it earned? Through what went wrong? Right? Thank you, Jack. You can, you can let it go. I'll, I'll roll up. Actually, you roll up for me, mate. Thanks. It'll take too long. That's the first thing. This is the first why that, 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 that if you were to ask me why is it important that I need to come away looking at what goes wrong in my life from a different point of view, it's because of this. So that you can enter this if you haven't. That this is your promise. This is your hope. This is your purpose. This is what your life is moving towards, right? Number one. Number two, uh, number one was... What went wrong for Jesus? God brought you into the promises of an eternal future with him in Jesus. Number two, you know, that dealt with then and when I die and, 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 and eternity. I'm going to talk to you about now because you're going to say to me, I live now. I'm in the red space now. What about what goes wrong now? Thank you, Jack. He's a bit snaky, isn't he? Cheers. <clears throat> What about now? What about here? I'm here. And it hurts now, my unfulfilled hopes. Here's the point. Do you know that what goes wrong through what goes wrong for you now? God will bring about his promises and his purposes for your life now. <laughs> this is not just the then. 
sort of situation. This is a now situation. I'll say it again, and I know it's heavy. I know it's very heavy because I know some of the hurts and suffering that goes on in these chairs this morning. But hear me, what goes wrong through what goes wrong for you now, God will bring about his promises and his purpose for your life now. If this is how God works with his own son, through what goes wrong, bringing about the promise and the hope and fulfillment of everything that he wants, why would he work differently with you if you're a child of his? Why would it be any different for any of us? Right? Here's, here's what J.I. Packer, a, a biblical scholar guy, writes. He says, Suffering fulfills the law of harvest. Before there is blessing anywhere, there will first be suffering somewhere. Jesus requires all who are his to live by the same law of harvest that he lived by himself, becoming the seed that dies to bring forth fruit. Every experience of pain, of grief, of frustration, of disappointment and being hurt by others is a little death. When we serve the Saviour in our worldly world, there are many such deaths to be died, but the call to us is to endure, since God sanctifies our endurance for fruitfulness in the lives of others. Do you get what he's saying? It's a bit wordy, but please get it. If you are going to be fruitful in the lives of others, you are going to be so through what goes wrong for you. That's what he's saying. That's how God works. You think for yourself. How many people do you know for whom everything in life went right? They got everything they hoped for. Every one of their desires were fulfilled. And at the end of their lives, you could say, they were really useful to others. I can't think of anyone. I can think of plenty of people for whom everything went wrong. And they became everything for the lives of others. Self-sacrificing, self-giving, loving, <laughs> generous, all those sorts of things. You see, it's, it's how God works. It's how the kingdom works. It's how the gospel works. It's how Jesus works. And so let me then get back to the question this morning. Can I ask you, what is your perspective or your point of view on what is going wrong in your life today? Are you seeing it as something that God has put there in which and through which he will bring about blessing? Or is it something that fills you with bitterness, with anger, with rage? Are you really the boy named Sue who can see nothing other but then wanting to kill the man who gave him the name? Or will you, can you come to a different point of view as you look at what is going wrong in your life? That's the point here. The point is simply this. What do I need to see? Through what's going wrong, God is somehow fulfilling his promise 
and his purpose with you. Right? Let's finish on the third point. You may hear all that and you say, that's cool, I get it in theory, but, but, but I don't. How do, I, how do I get to the point of seeing things from a different point of view? I, I'd like to, but I can't. I just, it, it's too hurtful. It's too heavy. It's too painful. The stuff that has gone wrong in my life, there's no way that I can move from what I'm seeing right now to what I should see over there. How do I move? How do I, how do I come to a different point of view when nothing in me perhaps even wants to? Or, or think that I ever can. You know how you move to a different point of view? You move in the same way that Cleopas and his friend moved. Did you notice that as the story progressed, they started to recognize who Jesus was? You see, gaining a sense of hope for your future and purpose for your present and your life to endure what has gone wrong in your life, you need to recognize who Jesus is. Recognition of who Jesus is has everything to do with how you're going to cope with what is wrong in your life. <laughs> this is, is Cleopas and his friend's story in this whole thing. They start out with not knowing who's talking to them to ride in the end. Particularly when he breaks the bread. Their hearts are burning. And they're saying, well, maybe it did not go wrong after all. Maybe it all went right. Maybe it all is exactly as it should be. So let me then tell you three things of how you're going to get to the same point if you need to move to see things from a different perspective. Number one, what happened to Cleopas and his friends? Jesus came to them. Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. Can I get you to ask yourself in the midst of your suffering, and unfulfilled hopes, is Jesus coming to you to walk alongside you? I believe he wants to. I believe he's looking for you. He's searching for you, like he searched for them. They didn't go look for him. He came looking for them. And he's here today, in our midst. Maybe the very thing that you think you need to, to grab you and bring you into the, into the faith of Jesus is precisely the stuff that's going wrong in your life. So often we look at the stuff that goes wrong in our lives and say, this is what's keeping me from believing of Jesus. What if that's the very thing that he's using to bring you to him? And you hear, and you know the people who know and love Jesus in your life who keep telling you, it is in him that you will find everything you need to deal with what's going wrong in your life. Give you hope for that eternal future and purpose for the present where your life's going to make a difference in the lives of others because of your suffering, right? He's here. He's coming to you. And if, if, you, if you're a child of God, your calling is to go alongside those who don't know Jesus, right? We have to be like Jesus. This is why we're big on mission and outreach, and all those sorts of things. Number one, Jesus comes to you. Ask yourself today, is he coming to me? Number two, you'll see him in his word. Did you notice that in the story, what did Jesus do with them? Open the scriptures. <laughs> Beginning with Moses and through all the prophets, he showed them who he was. 
If you're not a Christian, but you desperately lack hope in life, to the point where you don't want to live, can I ask you, are you reading your Bible? Do you have a Bible? Read it. Read it. If you are a child of God, but you're in a season of hopelessness and you do not see the point or the purpose, can I ask you the same question? Are you in the Word? Are you reading, even if you just Google what it is that you're struggling with and see what it spits out in terms of Bible verses and just read those? There is enormous power in that. Jesus knew it, which is why he takes these guys. He could have done anything to make them see who he is. And what does he do? He takes them to the Scriptures. Hugely significant. Get into our Bibles. And if we don't know how and you know a Christian friend who can maybe help you to find the parts to read or find a Bible, please talk to them or talk to me after today. But get in his word. This is where you will see who Jesus is. This is how you will deal with what's wrong in your life. Okay. And thirdly, and sorry, this is the only point that deals with the meal of Jesus today. But, but did you notice how significant this is? Cleopas and his friends. Verse 30, it's so powerful. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. <laughs> if you're not a Christian but hopelessly searching today and your hopes are dashed, you find no purpose for your life, hang out and spend time with the people who you know who knows Jesus. Eat with them. Drink with them. If you are a Christian today, and this is, I think, all of what sort of the meal with Jesus is about, is to say it is through eating and drinking together as children of Jesus that we will find what we're looking for often. If you're a struggling child of God today who feel like you lack hope for your life and your future, come next week to the Lord's Supper. Go and have a meal, a lunch with a Christian friend who can minister to you the grace of God and tell him that you have the promise of God for the hope of a better future and a purpose now. If you know struggling people who lack hope, what do you do? Invite them for a meal. Eat with them. It is in the eating that we recognize Jesus often and where we are reminded of his promise of a life that will go right then, but which he will also use now, precisely through what's going wrong. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that you are a God who does promise an incredible future. Thank you that you're a God who confronts stuff that goes wrong in our lives head on. That you do not shy away from it and your word does not shy away from it. I do pray for every single person here this morning, perhaps in whose lives things are going horribly wrong. Jesus, will you meet them? Will you walk right up to them like you did to Cleopas and his friend? Will you reveal yourself to them in the places that matter? Will you stir a hunger 
to open your word, to look for you there, to find you there? Will you reward the times when we open your word with a fresh recognition of who you are and what we have? When we eat together, Father, may we recognize in the bread that we break who we are and what we have. And may it make such a difference to how we look at our suffering, at our struggles, at everything that's not right. May it fill us with such a sense of confidence, such a sense of optimism, such a sense of hope, and such a sense of purpose that you will bless others through everything that is going wrong. And finally, Lord God, we thank you that you are a God exactly like that. One who is able to take the bad and turn it into good. One in whose sovereignty all that goes wrong is ultimately something that has gone right and will go right. We thank you so much that this is who you are and it's you who we get to come to. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.